Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Kink Positive Podcast. I'm your host, That Bad Teacher. Today, I'm so excited to have this guest on. I've been wanting to have her on since the first episode. Today, we have a kink educator on the podcast. Um, One of my favorite kink educators in the online space. One of the first people I started following and really promoting their work. We have with us today, Miss Aoife Murray. Welcome, Aoife. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here myself. We've talked with this for quite a while. And it's actually been a little while since we had a good chat. So I'm looking forward to that side of things too. Never mind the recording. (laughs) Yeah, no, me too. We did have a nice late Zoom call at one point a few months back where we were just, well, I guess late my time. I don't know. It must have been real early in the morning your time. I think it might have been around like your thesis time. Yes. Yeah. That's going back a little while. Yeah. We did. We had a catch up. But since then, I don't think we have. So I'm looking forward to just having a chat with Ali. Never mind the whole, you know, going to work, educating yeah. the masses side of things. <laughs> yes. So you guys have to go follow her on Instagram at Aoife Murray Life. It's such a great page, especially coming from an educator standpoint. And as a teacher, that was the first thing that really stuck out to me about your work is that it was so palatable. And I just really like your educational approach as like an education nerd and someone who likes that kind of thing. And thank you. that's really what I felt was kind of lacking here and there, not in all the education in kink, because there's so much good stuff out there. But I did find like there were elements missing that I felt like you nailed really well. I really appreciate that, particularly because you have a background in education. And when it comes to things like this, for most of it, I'm kind of, you know, just finding my way as I go. You know, when I was in college, I got to study things at group psychology and um, leadership dynamics and that kind of thing. So you have a BA in sociology and international development. Yes, I do. So a little bit different from what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, And your thesis was focused on gender and school-based sex education in Ireland. It was, yeah. So I got to interview a group of women for my thesis and talk to them about their experience of gender in the school environment and of how sex education was taught to them. And if they had any opinions on whether it kind of reinforced gendered norms or expectations around sexuality, that was a lot of fun to do. Because, spoiler alert, um, sex education in Ireland up until quite recently was non-existent. So finding out how these women actually learned about sex or how in some case it was they did have course facilitators. In another case, it could even be the nun that taught them about biology and Mm -hmm. (laughs) and sexuality. How that went for them was, was very interesting. So we have it here in the States. We do have sex ed. I can't say it's the best, most wonderful, inclusive. I would hope that these days, you know, they're kind of moving forward on that mm-hmm. train. What did you find within speaking with these women? Did they feel like they were really unprepared coming into like adulthood or just that it was something that they should not be like talking about? So a lot of them, they felt like there was quite a sense of shame instilled in them. Uh, not even necessarily by the things people said, but the way the conversations were approached or how they were put in a situation where they had to pick up bits of information here, there, and everywhere because sex was completely removed from conversations. So you'd get so far in a discussion that suddenly there'd be silence or there'd be kind of nervous looks around or they could tell that it was being omitted from the conversation. So in their minds, they went, oh, that's a sex thing. And that's how they started to learn by the absence in conversations rather than actually having upfront discussions. And that was just fascinating to me. So filling in the blanks and then either making assumptions or maybe asking close friends or seeing what's on TV (laughs) and movie kind of thing. Yeah, the rumor mill 
of this is around schools of oh if you do this this happens and you can't get pregnant if you have sex in this way or mm-hmm. um, just the gossiping as well about who's sexually active and who isn't and trying to pick up bits of information from that and then of course you have people who turn to porn as well in the absence of um, adequate sex education they try to look things up and what they come across is porn and mm-hmm. it's designed for entertainment rather than for educational purposes and then they're bumping up against this strange thing of being in an environment where we don't talk about sex versus the online world where sex seems to be everywhere mm-hmm. and you can't get a fact-based answer what you were getting instead was very graphic sexual imagery 100 percent of what i felt when I started looking at the kink information, at least what was online, like not, not that, not talking about the good serious stuff, like books and pot, like there's a lot of really good information out there that's not over sexual, but so much in the online space is. And I like that your content is not super gratuitous, you know, or anything like that. Yeah. That I, you know, I purposely don't include imagery that's quite sexualized in what I do. Now, I mean, ever so often I have fun posting like a flirty TikTok or something right yes yeah, I mean yeah. like well like a, like we do like a, you yes. know yeah like one a does thirst trap just for my amusement <laughs> but um when it comes sure. to the educational side of things I'd like on that front to keep things as approachable as I can because something I actually learned from some friends and colleagues is that they've had experiences where they feel quite alienated from um some educational material from kind of going into certain like shops that sell like pleasure products, adult toys, that kind of thing, because the image is too graphic for them and it can actually be very triggering. So mm-hmm. once I learned that, I tried to keep things as, as simple as I could. So lots of pinks and pastels <laughs> and simple writing rather than um, a very graphic image to accompany the, mm-hmm. the Or very graphic writing, you know. Yes, yeah, to try and avoid certain language, if I can, that is likely to be distressing for people on that front too, yeah. Approachable is such a key for the education piece in kink because so much of it is like, you know, meant to make us go like, <gasps> and like kind of lean away from it. So mm-hmm. when we can approach it in a way where it's just like Ali and Aoife talking to you about it, it's not as scary. That's the hope. And I mean, when it comes to the shock value, if that hits the spot for you, that's great. You know, if you want to like read erotica, you want to seek that out. Amazing. But that's probably not what you want when you're you're learning, let's say. Oh, what's a safe word? What are limits? The very basic things for your safety. You mm-hmm. don't want people telling you a story that's incredibly sexually graphic. Or you know the extremes you all see online where honestly, if you were to judge by some of the blog posts and things like that you get around BDSM, you would assume that everybody is in a total power exchange relationship or there's nothing. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's like a hundred different shades and different sizes of kink and DS between being vanilla oh and right, right. being in an MS dynamic, you know? Right. A lot of it is people will live in their dynamics and share their dynamic and project their dynamic. And it's like, learn from how we do things. And that's, you know, certainly there's like a lane for that, but it is so different and so unique for each person. So I like that your content focuses more on like how getting the tools to build your own thing instead of emulating. Although I think we both will share from our dynamics things we've learned and lessons and stuff it's not really like a follow me around like vlog or whatever like you know where it's like a day in the life of what I negotiated with my partner which is going to be totally different from what you negotiate with your partner 
you know, we had a great conversation about this a while ago and you were able to put words to it in a way that I don't think I quite could. We were saying, I think you were trying to express from your point of view, it's not that there isn't a place for that and for normalizing what a relationship can look like. But you definitely seem to have concerns about the difference between being somebody who um, documents their personal think life and someone who is an educator and how it's very important that we don't conflate the two. The way you were able to, to express that to me, I was like, yes. She put words to to the experience I have where sometimes I look at King pages and I feel concerned because they're they're posted kind of I would just say they're advertised as an educational page. And really it's just one person's experience. And it's not that that doesn't matter and it doesn't count, but it doesn't have to to be our goal or our norm around relationships. Right. Not necessarily a learning tool or mm. where we're like blurring those lines. Yeah. That's the start of our nice rant about what kind of educational pages we do and don't like. <laughs> well, yours just gave me so much hope. And I know this is just going to sound like me fangirling over you. And I know sometimes, like, oh. I know sometimes it's hard to, like, get, you know what I mean? Like, compliments. But, like, I really do. I, I really do mean it. Because when I first started learning about kink, it was in the online space. And mm-hmm. I've learned so much from your posts. And they're the, always the ones that I want to share. And I think I've definitely mentioned you on this exact podcast before and your page just as a resource for people. So it's like exciting for me. Another like educator thing. It's exciting when you see someone teaching in a way that you're like, oh, I really appreciate that. They put this really well. They put it all together. It's nice because I just know I could send people to a good place. So it's super valuable what you're doing. And then you also have a degree, you know what I mean, in this. So this is something that's really not just like a niche pastime for you. It really is something that you're approaching from a very professional standpoint. And that shows. Thank you. So yeah, it is a little tricky to get such direct compliments. (laughs) I'm sat there just smiling and Anyone who's watching this will, thankfully, they'll be spared from my blushing now because I'm under quite a pink light. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I have to say, too, for myself, like as a teacher, as a, like you don't always get that feedback. You know what I mean? You have your yeah. observation, like, you know, whatever, once a year where your principal or whoever comes in and sees you. But when you're doing this type of work, it comes from like so deep within us and we don't always get like the recognition and like the snaps for like doing a good job putting words to something that's so for all of us, body, mind, soul, like this big encompassing thing that we're trying to break down and break stigmas. You know, it's really very important work that we're giving a newer voice to this generation. You mentioned that you first started to learn about kink online. I have to say a huge amount of my education around BDSM came from that same place. You Mm -hmm. know, I was going online researching. I had met my dom. I was slowly starting to build a dynamic with him. I knew a little bit about BDSM, but I wanted to learn more. And I ended up using quite a few Facebook discussion groups. So going back, so this was, we'll say six years ago, mm-hmm. you know, Facebook has definitely had its heyday now and it's starting to wind down. <laughs> but even five or six years ago, it was a much more popular like um, site to use or app to use for the, you know, for the kids who never actually u- knew it as a site that you loaded on your computer. <laughs> And you would get groups of people who are involved in power exchange. And you could have groups of 5,000, 10,000 kinksters. And somebody would ask a question and other people would answer with their experience. And a huge amount of that is how I learned. And mentorship I had through friends I met online, particularly through I had a couple of women who I befriended. And they'd been involved in MS relationships for 20-something years and could kind of take me under their wing and help in that way. That was invaluable to me. And then as I started to get on myself further into my relationships, I had a real sense that we 
have a duty of care to pay it forward in some way. And then I realized, hang on, I'm actually, I, I could do this for a living. I actually, I think I have a knack for this. So I'd love to hear how you're, how did you go from researching things online to, to teaching yourself? Was it a similar thought process? Definitely with meeting people online who I developed these like great relationships with like that. It's such a community type thing. And I know the online mm-hmm. space could be very dangerous and very dicey yes. sometimes, And you do have to, you know, kind of be really careful about who you decide to meet in that space. But I have met my most, my best, most important, wonderful kink friends in the online space. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know going into kink when I first started looking at it and learning about it and okay, and this is how we do things was that not everyone did things the way that, you know, you're, Mm -hmm. you're taught to do things. And that in fact, Mm -hmm. there are people who intentionally do things the wrong way. And in fact, there are predators who use this lack of knowledge as leverage to take advantage of people. And that's when I was like, Oh, no, 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 no. We need to talk about this. Like, you know, and I was because no one, no one told me that I didn't get that online. And I didn't get that, like from the I guess from like the educational posts, people were not like, beware, you are new and all the worst people are going to come for you right now. Be careful. Like no one was like, danger, danger, like, you know, kind of thing. There was the, you know, the red flag lists and like that type of thing. And like, you know, it's, but it's something that truly that you're never going to stop someone from, you know, making those mistakes. You live and you learn kind of thing in this community. But just see learning the sinisterness of it and that there were people that you know really leveraged the media's perception of kink and 50 shades and the misinformation to you know take advantage of people of a thing that's like mm-hmm. could be so special and good and important that's what really drove me to start learning to get to a place where i could feel like i could start teaching something cuz like yeah. that was it for me in the beginning too i was like i need to you know, just take everything in right now and like start Mm -hmm. really, really small because there's so much here. Like, what do I know? Obviously, that really was what motivated me to start talking about it. It was like, oh, proper, realistic conversations about risk. Mm -hmm. That's something I really try to focus on the work I do, trying to encourage people to research and help them make a risk informed decision about their intimate life. And whether that's something that I would necessarily choose or not, that's not the point. The whole point of it is that they were genuinely able to make that informed decision because not everybody's kink life is going to look the same. There's not always the kind of emphasis we need on having those realistic conversations of the harm that can be caused. I also try to do it in a way that's not shaming, which of course you manage, but it can be, you know, I think you do it very well, but it can be quite difficult. You're going, oh no, you can absolutely do this if you want to. You Mm -hmm. just need to know what's at stake here rather than this is bad, this kind of, this kink is bad, or this kind of relationship or whatever it might be is bad, and we don't do that. Well, I I don't believe that helps anybody. <laughs> you know, if you say to someone, don't think of an elephant, what do they do? They think of an elephant. Yes, so yes. Someone, don't entertain this deep desire you have. It's not going to be helpful, you know? Right. I think the detailing of the risks and what that really could look like is a helpful thing because... So much of it, you don't, you can't, first of all, I mean, we can never really go into something knowing all the risks. There are always hidden risks, no matter Mm -hmm. how many times you've done a certain type of play, no matter how, you know what I mean, how benign, you know, it might be. There's no way to know those type of risks. But then like, as you go through it, you learn how deeply these things can affect you. So it's not just like a risk where like, oh, I might not have a good time. 
it's a risk where like I could spiral emotionally. I could have something (laughs) real, real harm happen to me. Like it was really, you know, kind of more explaining the risks. I could have a kink ruined for me. If I have a kink I love and I go out and I do it with someone that's not great, that could be, that thing could be ruined for me forever. Like those are just things you don't think about when you're brand new out poking around unless someone says to you like hey like be really careful and like this is some steps I would think about taking like that kind of thing I just I hated that young people were getting taken advantage of and that the the lack of knowledge was being leveraged in such a gross way they were really stuck in a spot of the education being hidden by all the shame and that that so it makes it even more tricky because it's not something where it's like, oh, this is how you garden your plant. Like, this is how you take care of a sunflower. We could just talk about it. It's like there are these layers of hidden privacy and shame around all the content, mm-hmm. which is like what makes it a perfect breeding ground for predators, which is why I like that you and I take a more like palatable approach where we could talk about it without it being like, you know, super taboo. Yeah. I like to show and say I'm a tour guide for the taboo. And then people actually sit to listen to me talk. And I think it's a bit anticlimactic for them because of how normal it seems to actually have these conversations when you don't do it in a scandalous or salacious way. Because we could be talking about you trying a new sex position for the first time, or we could be talking about edge play. And uh, still, the approach is is going to be similar with the level of respect I give it. And we're like, OK, that's on the table for discussion today. Let's let's have a talk about it. It might be a bit of a letdown, to be honest. <laughs> There's something to be said for like the build up, you know, and the, and the fun of it. But yeah, I think it's necessary. And let's hope it doesn't ruin too many people's fun with the whole taboo side of things. But, you know. Safety first, of course. I so relate to you on that, on feeling like it's anticlimactic <laughs> and that my approach is very clinical. And it's yeah. like, ooh, you want to talk about like floggers? Like, okay, like this is how you clean them. And like, this is every boring thing you've ever wanted to know. Like <laughs> <Okay>. basic, basic, <laughs> basic. Someone nodding off in the corner while we're going, okay, and now if if the falls are cut straight, it'll produce <laughs> this sensation. If they're slightly rounded, that will give you a less stingy sensation. <laughs> Now, if they're pointed, that would be more stingy because <laughs> there's someone in the corner like, okay, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. Where's the show? This is like geometry and shit. Exactly. Yeah. But we mean well. We do, we do a good job. I like to think so. So I did post on the podcast page if anyone had any questions for you. I try to do this pretty regularly when I have guests on just to see if anybody like wants something specific talked about. I got... Two cute things. Uh, the first one I'm going to, we'll talk about now. And the second one I'm going to send to you because I just want you to see it. Okay. Firstly, which is actually very perfect because I posted about it today. The first question I got was discuss kink versus fetish. You have a great pinned post on this. I know this is something that, you know, you teach about regularly. Mm-hmm. I mean, so please, how would you discuss kink versus fetish? For so the this is people. this is something I've know we've spoken about. There's it's funny. <laughs> I have educator friends, and there's some of us we have particular things we get caught up on. Things like how kinks and fetishes are defined, and then defining power exchange terminology and roles. They're two things that'd be quite important to me because I think you know it's the foundation of everything here. When you're introducing them into this to this lifestyle, this way of doing things, getting those things right can be very crucial to giving them an experience where they feel accepted, but also they understand just how much our preferences can vary. And that can be really encouraging for them. 
So yeah, this is why they're my two things. They'd be my hills to die on. <laughs> I'd love to hear what your ones would be in a minute. But um, yeah, so the difference between a kink and a fetish. So this is something started with every kink 101. I would describe a kink as any intimate practice that falls outside the standard script of intimacy. So that could be any sexual or any kink practice. Just any um any activity where we are expressing that side of ourselves and trying to have that connection with somebody that falls outside of the script of what we would have the script we'd have in mainstream society of how our intimacy is meant to look. And that sounds really broad. And you go, well, is that not everything then? Like, what? It, can anything be a kink? And the truth is, kinks vary so much that it's mm-hmm. it's designed to be that broad on purpose. So it can be sexual activities but they could be non-sexual. And that's very important because you get people who come to the BDSM community who are asexual, for example, and we want to make sure that how they experience kink is included in that and that they feel welcome. And then when we move on a little bit, you go, okay, but who gets to say what our typical understanding or average, or I hate to use the word normal, but you know what the um, predominant understanding of intimacy is. The truth is there is no one clear answer. How we, we understand intimacy and sexuality it varies hugely from person to person and it can be influenced by you know, our upbringing, our culture, who it is we talk to sex, uh, we talk to about sex and, and sensuality. My understanding of what a kink is and where that line starts and ends is going to be different from yours. But we can agree that it's outside of those, as people would have said, normal definitions back in the day. Right. Totally makes, totally makes totally yeah. makes sense. And then moving on to a fetish, there was quite a lot of stigma about fetishes when they were originally studied. People had this idea that it had to be some kind of aberration and that it had to be people would have a fixation almost on their fetish and that somebody they wouldn't be able to achieve sexual arousal without involving their fetish in some way. And the thing is, a lot of people with fetishes have said that really it just doesn't capture the experience they have. It adds stigma, but it also is inaccurate too. So I define a fetish as an object, um, an attribute or non-sexual body part that a person experiences sexual arousal towards. The idea is that maybe just having that object present might provoke arousal. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't have a fulfilling sex life unless their fetish is present. In fact, many fetishists, they'll say, no, that's absolutely not the case for them. It's just something that scratches a particular itch for them or it's something that they have formed a strong sexual association with. So to them, it, it adds a little bit of spice or they have kind of that special connection to it. Mm-hmm. Those are my two summaries there. My kinks, I would refer to more as activities and then fetishes as objects, non-sexual attributes, body parts. And then kinks, I would say, could be sexual or non-sexual and fetishes would strictly be sexual. But again, that doesn't mean that a person requires their fetish to have a good time. I remember this being a topic of conversation at some point as well on Instagram and in the online space, just about that gratification piece that without the fetish present, the sexual gratification could still happen. But like you said, it makes it more, it makes it better, it makes it deeper or brings some type of feeling of gratification. But it's more than an orgasm. Yes. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's that's a good thing to bring up that it's not necessary that if I have a fetish for, I'll say, shoes, certain kinds of high heels, because that's actually quite a common one. It's not that the presence of those shoes alone is actually going to cause me to have an orgasm and the gratification, the satisfaction I'd experience with it. Again, it's not necessarily about climax, about having an orgasm. It's that you have this 
connection you form with them that um, links to your sexuality it brings different kinds of satisfaction for most people and it's not when we think about it I, I like to think you know it's not actually that far removed from experiences we have if you think about it because many of us would have preference for a partner having particular attributes or we have particular textures or things like that that we particularly enjoy or particular smells we find particularly erotic and so when you think about it yeah maybe they would have a, a bit of a deeper connection to their fetish object, but it's not that far removed from something you might be experiencing yourself. That is a fantastic point that we have our preferences and those things yes. that we really like that are because they're vanilla. We don't think of it as a fetish because it's like, you know, having brown eyes or something, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So you wouldn't think, oh, that's a fetish because it's, it seems like a normal attribute. Mm hmm. And when we start having these conversations, one thing I find very interesting is when we look at the way the word fetish is used in mainstream discussions about something. So it's very common for people to talk about fetishizing. And what they actually mean is to sexually objectify. And yes, that's the word we use. So having to explain to somebody, let's say you had a fetish for somebody with brown hair or with blonde hair. That doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to behave in a way that's inappropriate towards them, that you are going to objectify them based on that characteristic. Mm -hmm. Having a fetish, it's an unconscious choice and you can still choose the same as anybody else to be a kind person who values consent and other people's boundaries. And it doesn't mean that you are going to treat that person in an inherently sexualized way. And like you mentioned, asexual people who have fetishes, it is the objects be or the, you know, the experience of the thing, textures mm -hmm. we like, whatever it is that gives them some type of gratification that may not be, you know. You know, I haven't actually, in my definition of these things, I would typically, I would often describe um, fetishes as being sexual. I haven't actually worked with anyone who's asexual who has a fetish. Worked mm. with asexual people who absolutely have kinks, but not a fetish in the sense that they would have a sexual association with an object. But it's a really good point to bring up. It has me thinking here, do I need to, even after all this time, have a little rethink myself about whether the definition for a fetish I use is inclusive enough. So, you know, if anyone's listening and they're asexual and they have a fetish and they want to shoot me a message and share their experience with me, please do. I thought it was a conversation. I'm trying to remember like who, where that was happening with that exact thing that like fetishes can be sexual, but they just like kinks, basically. That like they can't oh. be sexual, but they are not always, always sexual. And there's room for that. that but would, I, that's very interesting. I would love to, if anyone would like to share an experience like that with me, I, I'd, I'd love to hear about it. And in that case, what it is that makes them feel like the label fetish is most appropriate for them rather than just being like an interest or, right, or a kink. Yeah. And I think there's also the other piece of it too, where like you mentioned before, we get caught up on words, you know what I mean? As educators and as kinksters, we get caught up on labels. And I think they matter and they don't in the sense that as long as you and your partners know what you mean, like that yeah. is the most important thing. Like we could assign different attributes here and there, but as far as the hills I would die on, communication and relationship skills is one of them. <laughs> and right there and the power exchange understanding the power exchange piece yes is the other one yeah so Those for are the me two things yeah for me when it comes to these definitions it's not because i think everybody has to use the same language it's totally the way i see them discussed in mainstream media adds so much shame and can be very belittling of those who have interests that aren't considered typical or considered uncommon 
And that's why I think we should strive to have these definitions that support as many people as we can. Communication, absolutely. You know, it's one of the things we start talking about kink. We go, okay, but communication and negotiation and vetting. And you have these certain buzzwords. And after a little while, people are like, but I don't, what does that mean? What does communication even look like? Or what does vetting even mean? We know what we mean. <laughs> we get so so used to that. The trying to describe it to someone who mightn't be familiar with it is a little bit tricky. I'm guessing when you when you describe this, you're talking about really laying your cards out on a table on the table with a partner and being open with them in a way that we could kind of get by without in a vanilla relationship if you chose to, because the stakes are a little bit lower. So learning these skills of how to actually just describe to your partner what it is you're feeling and what your boundaries are takes time you don't just learn this overnight you have this like anything you need to be taught how to effectively get these things across to a partner right I think that's a relationship skill that mm-hmm. you know hopefully we would have before coming into kink relationships but not always that there's understanding that communication is this broad concept it's receptive it's expressive it's regular and ongoing it's truthful it's mm-hmm. contemplative you know and just so necessary and i think also like communication can you communicate with others can you communicate with yourself do you listen to yourself do you, you know what i mean relationship mm-hmm. relationship skills do you have good relationships in general in your life do you have a good relationship with self communicating and having those relationship skills with yourself with those around you and then branching out into like you know the more and the more yes one thing you know I've seen working with clients for a while now is when they want to get involved in kink or in polyamory or things like that it can really shine a spotlight on areas where those skills are a little bit weaker so something they thought they had a handle on and they they thought that they were able to communicate clearly in that way with a partner. And all of a sudden they realize there's a weak spot. There's like a chink in the armor because the stakes are a little bit higher. And I think we can get away with some of these things in vanilla relationships because it's not a matter of safety, immediate safety and well-being in that way. Because literally the stakes can be higher. You know, if your partner is suspending you from the ceiling and you're engaged in pain play, you being able to effectively tell them what I need immediately in this moment could be the difference between you having a nice time and quite a traumatic time. Whereas that's often not the case for people who explore intimacy through other avenues. Right. There's such a vulnerability in that communication mm-hmm. and like a raw honesty that has to, you know, you have to confront and face yourself and front and, conf- and face with your partners. And there's so much shame around, you know, saying all the things and expressing all the things. So you're not talking about negotiating who's going to do the dishes when, you know what I mean? And like, it could wait and it's not that serious and you'll figure it out. Higher stakes, like you mentioned. Yes. Uh, It's like, if here are my aftercare needs and if I don't have them, I could have a very difficult experience because I will spiral. I have a hard time with my mental health if I don't feel that my emotional needs are met versus something that can oh we'd like to have a conversation about something that that um where there's kind of heightened emotions at stake we can put this off for a week and make sure we have the clear time to do that there's certain things that have to be done now (laughs) absolutely speaking of communication and not wanting to say the things so the other message that i got about a response of what to ask you it was a funny one it was a silly one and it's a three to have a peek It's a three-parter. I sent it to you. So you'll see the first like kink versus fetish. And then you'll see beyond that, there's three messages. 
and they go in a row. I want you to tell, read them and tell me what you think. But that was the other topic that got brought up. Everybody else could just wait in suspense as I drink my tea because I made tea because Eva's a tea girl and I has, have, has oh, virtual yeah. tea parties. <laughs> so, I'm, so I made tea. I'm having tea for the first time with my girl Eva. What kind of tea did you make? It is vanilla chai black tea. Very nice. So here we drink tea. It's like really strong black tea and we put milk in it. To, it's to kind of make it taste a little bit sweeter or a little bit creamier. But like Irish tea is not really, really strong. Like people say you can stand a spoon up in it. That's how strong we're doing. So if you ever come visit, I'll introduce you to the wonders that are that is Irish tea. I, I've read that now. Okay. And would okay. you like to would you like to do the reveal? Would you? I would like you to do the reveal. I don't want to say it. Okay. So just to, to paraphrase in case this is this would be like revealing to somebody. They um mm-hmm. they've had experiences where men have said that they have a fetish for anally penetrating their partner and that's something they would need in order to um, achieve orgasm yet it's definitely something that they wouldn't be open to receiving themselves and I okay I haven't seen that one this is where I'm like like not to get too pop culture on it but this sounds to me like we're getting into Jonah Hill territory of (laughs) my boundary okay but this is my boundary but you need to do exactly as I say, because this is my boundary. <laughs> Whether or not you have a fetish, nobody is obligated to engage in that fetish with you. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Polly, but if if you genuinely feel you have this experience, that you have a fetish for anal play or a fetish for assholes or however you would like to describe it, whatever it is that does it for you. Not the men, just the actual physical <laughs> asshole. <laughs> just, just the actual anatomical, yeah. And if you're like without this um, being able to to engage these activities, I'm not going to be able to orgasm. That's okay. But if your partner doesn't want to do that with you, then they don't have to. It's not their job to to engage in your fetish with you. I'm I'm taken aback by that, that people would be using terminology around fetishes to pressure a partner to engage in something with them. Like, mm-hmm. oh, but it's a fetish. I need this. Mm. okay but I don't have to give it to you it it doesn't matter what it is that's yeah that's that's taking me back a little bit yeah and of course no one has to agree either side to any type of penetration or act that they are not interested in but the way she the way she wrote that made me chuckle because it just made me think about straight dudes being afraid of their own butts <laughs> it's like yeah. they're really they're afraid to wash back there they're afraid to touch it they don't want to look at it they're like they get very upset oh. when you talk about their little boy heinies they got very all are very stressed out they're very afraid of their own buttholes more than anything else in this world yes. and it is like it is both ridiculous and funny at the same time oh the posts i have seen online that have really just made me like weep for humanity are like that things around hygiene and men being uncomfortable Ooh. with properly cleaning themselves. And I just think what kind of strange internalized like misogyny or homophobia do you have going on where you think it would tre- threaten your sense of self and your identity and masculinity to have good hygiene? That's one I could be unpacking that one for months. I mean, months. Like, I can't yeah. Quite, yeah. The pressures of being a 21st century man, you have to be so masculine that you can't <laughs> wash yourself. Like, how did we get there? Right. I saw this TikTok a couple of weeks ago and I thought it was so funny where it's like, no, I'm a I'm a dude. I don't work out. 
because that's my muscles crying and I don't know <laughs> and I don't cry I'm a dude. yeah and I was like how we, far do we take this <laughs> yeah we joke about it and it is silly but it also is really really sad and you know not not a, like you said how did we get to this point with our boys and our society talk about sex ed for kids and all this you know what I mean like yeah you don't need to be afraid of your own butthole turns out it's really okay it's it's yours you can do whatever you want to it (laughs) not in any way question it's called your your sexuality or your gender into question Mm -hmm. it is it is yours so you can do whatever you like with it but you know please use lube and a flared base that's all I have to say yeah yeah the flare base, <laughs> flare base covers. That was. Not, I feel like that was. That's another hill you would die on. Flare <laughs> <So, laughs> like bases. Flare bases. Yeah. So, again, yeah. good message to drive home. I was helping to run a sex toy quiz with one of the student unions that I've worked with a few times, and they were asking me if I had any idea for different rounds for the quiz. You know, things that are funny, but can be slightly educational, or could give the someone like just cause a little bit of pause to think maybe and my suggestion was that we get pelvic x-rays and we photoshop certain objects in and they have to guess what object has gotten lost in the x-ray and (laughs) so the examples we used were all based on real cases but of course we didn't we wouldn't use an x-ray of someone like that for their privacy (laughs) yeah so things like sunglasses and light bulbs and army men the message was use a flared base kits that was the Mm -hmm. the educational take home wow (laughs) great again here we go 10 out of 10 thank you everyone clap for Eva right now class (laughs) fantastic work what a way to drive home a lesson yeah that's amazing it's so cool such a cool thing to educate about it's so so fun and dynamic and you do it in such a great way and you know it, it gets a little bit of a giggle which, I mean, is unfortunate for the poor for person who decided to experiment, not knowing that that's what was going to happen. Mm. But again, it's one of these things of morbid humor. Like, oh, I don't know how we'd get by if we couldn't have a little bit of a giggle at, like, the fuck-ups we make along the way. I don't know what we do. So That's yeah. another piece. Not taking it too seriously just makes it so much more fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, Ali, you've come across many a dom who are, like, the most serious dominance you'll ever meet. And feel the need to tell you that they're a professional dominant. And like you couldn't get a laugh out of them to save your life. And there's nothing that ruins the fun quicker. Because what we do, we know it's absurd. We're, we're taking childlike games and we're injecting all of this sexuality and sensuality and high stakes power exchange together. And it does make for a hilarious combination sometimes. And the that guy who can't laugh at himself, who you match with on Tinder, well, you know that he's not going to get as far in exploring as he could if he had a sense of whimsy and humor to things. Well said. I know that's something we'd like to have, have a little bit more of a chat about, I'll put a post together at some point, the kinds of dominance you might meet along the way. Um, <laughs> the kind Su- to avoid. S- super serious guys, one of them. Super serious. Yeah, super serious. <laughs> and then... What else did we have? We definitely had like the used car salesman who just really talks a good game. But it's like, yeah, yeah, but don't look under the hood. Like you don't actually need to check my references. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who you can only learn about BDSM through them. That oh person. my God, that guy. The one true dominant. And they are the only one who is practicing BDSM correctly and nobody else does it right. 
So you have to learn about BDSM through them or through them and their friend. And that's that's it. Very cult of personality kind of thing. I've also seen the dominants who will purposely seek out somebody who's New York's kink and they will take advantage kind of of the euphoria they experience and paint that as you see how much I understand you and you see how much I complete you Mm. and nobody else would understand you like I do. We've just, we're two souls who've been (laughs) intertwined for lifetimes. And some people do genuinely feel this way about the relationship and that's amazing, but not everybody does. And what the sub doesn't realize is, no, actually, you just had your first experience of. Right. It's not a one time thing. Someone else uh, had said it's not they're not novel, like your, you know, first relationship or your, you know, your these things are not the one and only thing, especially when you're starting out, just like your vanilla relationships, your first boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, partner. Oh, it can definitely be a milestone. And some people feel that way. But I've seen Mm -hmm. a lot of dominance who paint that as you see how well I understand you and what I did for you. Yes. They neglect to tell them that there are many people who do pickup play at an event and have an incredible scene and experience that kind of euphoria with somebody. It's not something that only (laughs) one person in the entire world can offer you. 100%. You are working as a as an educator and as like a peer consultant so people can work with you yeah. one-on-one can you tell us about yeah. that where can we find you tell us all your stuff yeah so they can book an appointment with me one-on-one or sometimes i work with couples too at the minute all you have to do is send me a message and we have a little bit of a chat and make sure that i only accept your appointment if i'm sure that i am equipped to meet your needs so if it's something that's not in my wheelhouse i'll do my best to find someone who would be better suited to that for you recommend you to a colleague a lot of times and then we set up an appointment and we sit and have a chat like me and Ali now, one-on-one or two-on-one on Zoom. And then after appointment as well, I'd send you an email a couple of days later that has some follow-up resources and I have a check-in with you to see how you're doing and all of that good stuff. So a lot of times I've worked with people in things like um, building their limit list, building tools for um, kind of navigating vetting and negotiation, work with couples who, who would often like to take BDSM from the bedroom into their day-to-day lives and they are making sure they navigate that transition as best they can so lots of fun stuff like that which I think my wheelhouse in all of this is helping people with what I call the soft skills in BDSM some people they run workshops where they are just like the most amazing flogger you have ever met in your life they're just incredibly good at it and they can teach other people that hands-on skill whereas I um, think I'm best suited to helping people navigate this emotionally, but also um, help support them in some of the the skills they need to navigate those interpersonal relationships. Interpersonal is the word that I was thinking in my head to jump in and use. And that's that's such a good way to put it, the soft skills and having Mm -hmm. that support and someone on the outside looking at your dynamic and helping you in that way. Or to correct myself, which is my other thought earlier, is that you know, kink coaching or support or consulting is not just for like when you're in a dynamic, when you're starting a dynamic, when mm-hmm. you decide this is something that you want to start learning about and start doing. And maybe you're seeking the structure, but don't want to like fall into some, you know, random power exchange thing super mm-hmm. fast. Coaching is a nice way to pace yourself and get yes. your feet wet and start learning about things. Yeah. Um, it's such a fun experience for the client and for the consultant to 
connect over kink. It's just a really good experience. I would recommend it for people to try and give a go. Even if you're new and single, it's nice to have oh, a little interaction. Yeah, absolutely. There's no requirement to be in a relationship or to be actively seeking a relationship at that moment. Um, I think on some levels, it can just be good for the introspection that comes with it. You know, if you were to sit down to work on a limitless, let's say, it's putting that time and energy into yourself and working out where do my boundaries actually lie? And the amount of things that can unearth for you or things you can learn about yourself through that can be so helpful. And what's very interesting is I find when people who are newer to kink and they want to start exploring, they can often feel like they're not really part of it yet. Like they're not really part of the community. They don't have a tangible connection to it. And actually having coaching appointments gives them more confidence in their identity as a kinkster because they feel like they have a link to the BDSM community or the kink community. Like they're investing time, they're investing this effort in this area of their life and this aspect of themselves. And even that can help you grow in confidence quite a lot. To come prepared with like, if it were a limitless someone new is working on or with some kind of framework to come into it with some sense of of that, it really sends the message that you're taking it seriously and that kind of okay. thing. And is a nice way to approach when you are starting to look at pick up playing, whatever, it's going to make all of your potential tops or big letters or, you know, or vice versa, little letters feel mm-hmm. safer in a way, or, yes. you know, like give them this safer and reassurance that like, oh, okay, this person already has like thought about this. Like it's not going to be so much effort on the part of the big letter or the, you know, the partner yes. to, to pull that stuff out of them mm-hmm. and to have to go through all that. So it's a nice like preparatory thing to do. Definitely. And I think people, they come into BDSM imagining that everybody in the community has themselves together and they know what they're doing. And they're the ones that are going to be lagging behind in terms of vetting or just understanding their interests, their boundaries. And, you know, I did a mentorship course a few months ago. So I had a group of five students and we did an eight week mentorship course. We met once a week and I had it all laid out for them, literally like a formal course outline. And I got to the end of it and trying to say to a couple of them who they're like, but I've never been to a munch, but I have never done this. I haven't explored this yet. Trying to instill in them. You would be surprised. You're going to go into this community and you're going to have this foundation now. You will put this time and effort and introspection into yourself and you will be surprised because there'll be people who've been doing this five years who've never taken time to sit down and to think about these things. You're not at the disadvantage you might think you are if you are willing to put the time into to working these things out and teasing out what it is you actually want from BDSM and learning a little bit about how to put safety measures in place for yourself and look out for your well-being. 100%. We're always learning and always making mistakes. It's not like yes. you're new. It's not like you're new and then you're not. You're growing throughout, you know, you're new all over again with each new challenge and relationship and whatever, a new type of play. You know, you get to that's what's cool about kink is you get to be new and have these new first times a lot. Oh, that's a huge part of the draw to me. That mm-hmm. the combinations of play are endless, that there's always going to be something to try. I will never have tried everything. And getting to have an experience with your partner where you can try something new and it could be incredible and amazing. And you go, where has this been my whole life? Yeah, it's, a, it's such time, a, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Or next time you try something new, you go, what was that? Like, what were, no, that did not work out how I thought it would. And yes. It, it becomes that funny story that you have that 
is a bonding experience for you. And that's where the humility and the sense of humor can really help. And the communication piece with having those check-ins and those talks and seeing how things are going and being willing to try new things, being willing to try new risks. Like these are all, like you mentioned before, soft skills, interpersonal skills that it's really more of like that we have as people that we could apply in other areas of our life that when we learn how to do them really well, they only help in kink. Absolutely. Yeah. When people reach out to you to like message you or ask you questions, should they reach out to you via Instagram, via email? They can can absolutely. So they can just message me on Instagram. So my Instagram is ifa.murray.life. But I know that might be a little bit tricky for some of your audience, particularly spelling ifa. So how I have it set up at the minute is if you go to thekinkmother.com, it'll also, for now, it's just linking you directly back to my Instagram. So you'll still find me. And then they can email me otherwise if they would prefer. So it's ifa.murray.education at gmail.com. And of course, that's available through my Instagram as well. And then, yeah, once they send me a message, and if you can try to give me a little bit of a heads up as to why you've messaged, chances are I'll be able to get back to you quicker. So I'm sure Ali will be able to vouch for this. We get a lot of, hey, how's it going? Hey, kind of messages <laughs> from, from people online. And sometimes you're there going, so I can't tell if you're shy and there's something you'd like to talk to me about or you're a boss or you're going to hit me with a cheesy pickup line as soon as I reply to you. Mm-hmm. Context, context clues help why you're messaging who, <laughs> that kind of thing for sure. Yeah. That would be a fun little uh, episode or a segment for us to do would be like some of the funny stuff that's happened in the online space because I know, yeah. you know, you've you've definitely seen had a lot of it and seen a lot of it. But yeah, people are interesting. What was the website again? The, the King- com. Not the Godfather. I'm the kink mother. <laughs> I love it. I love I love it. So you yeah. guys can go to the kinkmother.com, which will redirect you to Aoife's page. Yeah. And the reason she's saying that us Americans might not figure it out is Aoife is spelled A-O-I-F-E. Yeah. A-O-I-F-E. And it's pronounced Aoife. <laughs> and so so that's why so you could find obviously go find go to her website and check it out and find her that way but if you're ever trying to like look up her name that's why it starts with an a and obviously i just tagged you today on the podcast page i'll be sure to like highlight that oh that's great you know honestly sometimes i forget the marvels of technology the chance there if they're listening to this on Spotify or something, you, you'll have it set so they can scroll down and click a button. I think about that too, it. like when I'm posting it, because I always make people say that. I'm like, oh, tell us where we could reach you. And I'm like, why am I making them like do that when I could just put it in the description? <laughs> <laughs> we're old school. We're in, we're used to like interviewing as if you're a radio presenter. Okay, this is your only chance to catch their attention, Ali. It's, it's one and done. We knew so. Facebook when it was a website that you would go <laughs> yeah. on to on your computer, yeah. kids, okay? Not just an app. We had dial-up yeah. modem. So we're just covering all our bases here. Yes. And the fax machine noise in the in the telephone and everything. We, you know, we're just making sure you know where to find us. So Aoife is an Irish name, as you might have guessed. So it uses the the alphabet quite differently than it does in English. So there's a reason it doesn't make sense to you. It's because it's an entirely different language. So, it's beautiful. You know, it's a beautiful name. Thank you. I still, we still always say I need to come to Ireland and visit you. And I believe that will happen one day. I'm holding out hope for that for real, that that's going to be a real life thing. You can come stay with me and (gasps) I'll, I'll bring you to do all the cliche things. Gosh, yes. And you have to make me that toast that whatever you put in the, in the oven, the thing you made once that you sent me, it was like an open face sandwich type thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> we were talking I about I was just making a toasted sandwich and we were talking about how we do them differently or the same the difference between like a grilled cheese and a toasted cheese sandwich and how yes yes yes, yes the cheese toast absolutely yes. yeah the the difference because we had seen we had seen posts on tiktok of people going i have this hack and it was making cheese <clears> on toast in under the grill like i think you call that a broiler wouldn't you like putting it in your oven and I was there going, who raised these people? Like, who raised you? That that was the staple of your diet. You just put some cheese on some bread and, and have a great after school snack for yourself. Murka. <laughs> Damn country. That's true. <laughs> Fat fucking Americans are all going to be mad at me now. But <laughs> listen, Murka. we're the first ones to say, to say, like, stereotypes exist for a reason. It's like, yeah, y'all, that's why everyone thinks we're fat and stupid. <laughs> like, let's get it. Let's get it together. So, one thing I have to break to the Americans listening is, you know, the way Americans look at Florida and they think that Florida is just insane. Yeah. That's kind of how we look at America. Yeah, because I get it. Imagine the news stories we hear from the US are going to be the most extreme cases. Mm-hmm. We're not going to hear your nice local news piece that are, that's really wholesome. We hear the more extreme cases. We're the Florida <laughs> of the world. <laughs> so so we look at the u.s sometimes going like what is happening over there yeah Mm -hmm. don't but that's okay because i know it works reverse too where people it you know americans think irish people drink a lot and you know we fight a lot and yeah we there's stereotypes the other way around yeah every every country or every type of people i guess has their own stereotypes but Mm -hmm. if it weren't for kink you and I wouldn't be, you know, friendly and chatting and, you know, crossing continents and making friends and all that. Bridging cultural divides, Ali. Look at us. We're doing God's work right now. Like <laughs> One spank at a time. Look at us. <laughs> Bringing people together. The two um, whitest girls are like, look how great we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> look how diverse we are. <laughs> God, we're so great. I know. I know. We're we're just being silly, of course. But yes. it is actually something really nice you can get in kink where it brings mm-hmm. a combination of people together because you have a common thread. And then when you're in that environment, you can sit and have a conversation with with people who you typically wouldn't be around. It, it can be quite an interesting experience where automatically you would assume that if somebody has, I don't know, they're from a different faith or they um, they have a different political you might assume certain things about about how they approach the world and it's not always the case having a common thread like perversion (laughs) you can break the ice in a great way to have these conversations with people i've absolutely traveled to parts of america that i want would not have otherwise traveled to for king purposes yeah uh okay for for king reasons you've you've traveled to to places that are a bit uh a bit off the beaten track are they yes off the beaten yeah, track okay. is a good way to put it yes uh-huh for sure and like you know i'm not gonna say which places like nothing bad but like just places that are not you know what i'm used to where i'm from kind of thing i've definitely taken those types of like risks or like cultural risks or like you know getting to know different people in different states and that kind of thing just because they had the right interpersonal skills they were like the right type of person and we became friends so it's definitely i've traveled more for kink than probably like anything else in my life one thing that I I found quite surprising when I started to get involved in BDSM is I really have this idea of who like the archetype is like what a kingster looks like what a BDSMer looks like and you know I assumed it's somebody who would consider themselves to be like you know quite left-leaning politically they would probably be middle class because they're more likely to have the disposable income to to invest in the classes for example or in a larger toy kit or 
they're less likely to be working two jobs and to have the time to to invest in BDSM because it's definitely a privilege, let's face it. And then the more I got involved, realizing there's some people who can be quite conservative, politically leaning, some people from more strict faith backgrounds, which I find fascinating. And they find ways to work their desires and their interests into relationships they have and into almost their journey in faith in some way. And that's something that was amazing to me to see the diversity of people you can have that are interested in BDSM. Yeah, that's fascinating. The religion part, especially. Yes. Yeah. You know, I've come across couples, for example, who are Christian and the dominant would set certain rules for the submissive that are designed to help support them in their faith. So mm-hmm. where the submissive finds um, 10 minutes of journaling and and praying every day to be really good for their mental health and so the dominant would enforce that as a rule for them mm-hmm. and that's that's so fascinating to me that they mm-hmm. can i mean because we know it's quite common for for dominance to encourage self-care in their submissives but if that there could be a religious aspect to it was something that was very new to me perfect example of how individualized all of this yeah. could be yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah that there isn't a one-size-fits-all to it this was so fun, Aoife. Thank you so much for coming on. This was amazing. Oh, yeah, of course. You're very welcome. And, l- you know, next opportunity you have to, you decide you want to talk about perversion in Ireland or about <laughs> buttholes or whatever it might be, you give me a call <laughs> like I'm there. <laughs> oh, the butthole episode is coming. It's going <laughs> to For sure. Well, this is dedicated to the stigma around, around anal play or anal play for men, maybe. I loved it. Anything else we have to say before we go? I don't think so. They know where they can find me. They just got a little taste of the beautiful rambling conversations we have with each other that, that span for hours. And yeah, I think I think that's all the people need, Ali. I think that's <laughs> I think they're set now. <laughs> Perfect. All right, you guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to stay kinky and stay positive, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Mm-hmm.